the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Uh, Christine Emba is my guest. She is a Washington Post opinion columnist, the author of this brand new book, Rethinking Sex. Rethinking Sex could actually not be more timely, uh, given the hearings that have just concluded about Judge Brown Jackson. And as I was reading it last night, uh, Christine, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Good morning. Well, uh, well, rethinking sex, you could not have uh, planned a launch date any better than the uh, uh, its intersection with the nomination hearing for Judge Brown Jackson, could you? Uh, no, absolutely not. It's a what? banner day for books. What, I, what did you think of the whole child porn conversation, the whole what is a woman conversation? I, I think from rethinking sex, I know. But what did you make of all that? So it was interesting hearing it in the context of you know, those nomination hearings, I think the judge was trying to be judicious and stick to, you know, the law, right? She can't adjudicate cases without all the information um, and was trying to say that clearly without sort of implicating herself. But I think the fact that those questions are coming up so often about child porn, about, you know, how we think about sex and gender shows that there's a lot of anxiety in the culture right now. And people really want to know what to think and be able to tell what's right and what's wrong. You, you are absolutely right. I want to go to page 136 of Rethinking Sex, because I think this is the central, this is a generational issue here, Christine. Obviously, you are a young woman, very accomplished on the beginning of a career. I'm an old guy uh, on the on the runway down to landing with you know half dozen years left doing this. And I find on page 136, we are in uncomfortable imposing our personal view on other. In a free society, morality is seen as a private affair. You know, I don't agree with that because I think morality has been understood forever. You and I are both Catholic Christians, right? We, mm -hmm. I have the Baltimore Catechism in one of my books somewhere, so it's handy to find. Do you really think that, that young people think morality is a construct? You know, I I don't. I personally don't think so. I think that we need to be brave enough to say that some things are right and some things are wrong. But that's why I wrote Rethinking Sex. You know, it's a call to arms against the current sort of anything goes sexual culture. Um, and it critiques the idea that the only standard we can have for whether sex or not is whether it was consented to. And it also questions some of these assumptions that we've raised, you know, post-sexual revolution and feminist movement. Um, we have to ask whether things are correct, whether they're good or not, and whether they're actually hurting us. Uh, that especially, is, we have to be brave enough to say so. Rethinking sex, page 17. Non-consensual sex is always wrong, correct, 
But the inverse is tricky. Is consensual sex always right? Not necessarily. Can consensual sex be damaging to an individual, to their partner, to society? Absolutely. It's hard to look at the woes of our sexual marketplace and say that we've got it figured out. Consent is a fig leaf and it's falling off. That's a very powerful paragraph. You're getting some blowback from the left, aren't you, Christine? (laughs) Thank you. Yes, honestly, I am. Uh, The New York Times, you know, said that the book was judgmental. (laughs) I know. Uh, For trying to say that, you know, some sexual acts are, you know, worse than others. It's, you know, I, I believe that if we think of what our desires should be, it's better to want to love and care for another person, say, than to want to degrade them. Um, and maybe that is judgmental, but I actually think that sometimes judgment and moral standards are good for society. I'm talking with Christine Emba about her brand new book, Rethinking Sex, and it's going to be an eye opener for people who are over 50. Honest to goodness, I don't know what's going on at Princeton these days, but it wasn't going on at Harvard in the 70s. Uh, I got to tell you, though, Michelle Goldberg, who's a lefty at The New York Times, she read the book and she ended up focusing on Kristen just like I did. Uh, This is on page 134. Kristen, the videographer. You know, I got this boyfriend. Things are really great in the bedroom, except he chokes me. What? What? You know, I just said, what? How did you not do like a beer spit when she said that to you? I mean, I almost did. It was kind of a crazy moment. When I was researching and interviewing for Rethinking Sex, you know, I talked to young men and women uh, in different cities across the country. And the stories that people kept telling me were nuts in this way. Like, yeah, I'm having sex with this person, but I don't really want to. And he does this weird thing from porn that makes me very uncomfortable. But, you know, we're supposed to accept everybody's desires and, you know, not judge people. So, like, can I say that? This is bad. And the fact that we're that so many young people feel almost trapped in sexual encounters that feel degrading, traumatizing, almost depressing to them, and they don't have any recourse really made rethinking sex feel like a necessary project. And, you know, something that I wanted a lot of young people and even their parents, frankly, to read to, you know, to know that they're not crazy for thinking that something is off. When we come back from break for the uh, for the podcast, we're going to continue to talk about rethinking sex with Christine Emma. But I want to make sure I say on the radio, I'm holding in my hand the memorial book at Fred Hyatt uh, funeral uh, at, at his memorial service at The Washington Post. Christine gave maybe one of the greatest eulogies I've ever heard. And now I know why Fred hired you. I've liked your columns, but rethinking sex is very provocative. In fact, you call it a provocation. Did Fred get a chance to read any of this, Christine? You know, he didn't, and he's in the acknowledgments of the book, and that's one of the saddest things about it right now for me. Yeah, I, I, I share that. He would have loved it. It is a provocation, but it's a necessary one. More Christine Emba on the other side, America, on the interview with Hugh Hewitt. You can find it. Go and listen to it today. Thank you, Adam and Ben. Thank you. Congratulations, Ben, on the baby. Thank you, Harley, for being in to fill in. Thank you, Dwayne. I'll be back tomorrow with uh, Lindsey Graham, Larry Arn, much more on the next Hugh Hewitt show. I'm back with Christine Emba now, a Washington Post columnist, author of this book, Rethinking Sex, shooting up bestseller lists, especially after this week's hearings. First sex-drenched confirmation hearings I've ever watched, and it's because of the child porn issue and because of the transgender issue. Is that a fair statement, Christine? Yeah, I, I would say that many people who are watching the hearings are perhaps a little taken aback by how often sex um and sort of confusing manifestations of sex seem to be coming up. Confusing manifestations means to someone in my generation, 
uh, a variety and expanse of behaviors that we have never seen before. And it's going to have an impact. You write at one point, you quote the Stoic Epictetus saying to his students, when you receive an invitation to pleasure, pause. We need to reclaim this pause. Would you explain why he said that and why you quoted it? Sure. Well, I was writing that in Rethinking Sex in the context of a discussion of what a better sexual ethic would be. And I say that we need to move past consent. It's a floor, not a ceiling. And, you know, will the good of the other, which is Aristotle by way of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, And that means that we need to think about, you know, our partners and care for them and actually will their good as much as we will our own. But to do that, first, we have to know what the good is. We have to understand what sex is for and what it means. Um, And we have to be able to, you know, actually understand and will the good of the other person. And to do that, maybe you have to get to know them. Um, Maybe you have to take some time before you jump into bed with them. And so I'm kind of advocating for restraint here in rethinking sex. Oh, very much. You know, to to think about what we're doing. It's a... uh a semi-conservative critique of the morals that we are currently living through. I, I will have my daughter read this. I tell her all the time that I don't know how she's going to raise her four children. I have no idea how to deal with the complexities <laughs> facing the parent of four small children now from just how do you control the filters on their iPhone? You know, I, one of the senators said they lived in fear of their child running into child porn. Josh Hawley. So do I. I mean, I I understood that immediately because you really can't control what comes into your home anymore, can you? No, it's it's really crazy out there. And already, you know, Rethinking Sex has been out for two days. And I've already gotten emails from young men who are like, this book helped me realize that maybe porn is a problem in my life and it's affecting my relationships. And, you know, what should I do about this? Um, But at least they're realizing that, you know, I think, again, one of the things that you have to do as a parent Um, talking to your kids is be honest about the dangers that are out there, but also be honest about the truth. And that's what I'm trying to do in rethinking sex. I also think that you've got to be honest with, especially young women, that there are lots of creeps. I mean, I just can't believe the number of creeps who have encountered the people that you interviewed. Uh, Now I I am very old school and I, I believe that intimacy is, is limited to a marriage between one man and one woman. And I believe that for my 40 years of marriage to one woman. So it's, you know, it's just so different what you grew up with, Christine. Do you think it is even possible for the society to go backwards from its libertine current set? You know, I don't know that it's possible to go backwards, but, you know, Rethinking Sex is subtitled a provocation because I'm asking people to question the norms that they've, you know, hold, they hold unthinkingly. Um, and I may, I am getting a little bit of blowback from this. You know, one of the chapters is simply entitled men and women are not the same, which to me feels very obvious. And to some people feels like a kind of crazy and judgmental thing to say. But also I think that young people and people today are sort of feeling this, like they know that, the experience they're having is not the one they were told they would have after the sexual revolution. They can intuit that, you know, sex is meaningful and perhaps the sort of casual sex that they've been having is not serving them and sometimes harms them. Um, And I'm kind of trying to bring those feelings to the surface with this book and ask people to really look at their lives and ask whether they're doing what they, what is best for them. 
Don't you have to begin from a position that there is right and wrong? I began my my interview with you when we were on the on the broadcast portion by quoting your summary point of view on morality that it's a private choice. I don't think it's a private choice. I don't think Putin is doing a moral thing in Ukraine, and you have to have a basis on which to conclude that. That basis has to be natural law. This is my my. You're not a lawyer. I am. I teach. Calm law. You can't actually have any rule of law without natural law, can you, Christine? I mean, I'm Catholic too, honestly, and I, I think I agree with you there. Um, one of the things, one of the big thrusts of rethinking sex really is that we need to be able to say that morality is not a private affair. What we do with each other affects society at large. And, you know, all of society kind of has a stake in questions of sex and gender because that's literally where communities come from. This is how we create society. So ours are not the only interest. I, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I found the book very alarming because I was thinking about my grandkids uh, navigating the next 25 years through this. I mean, it's a minefield, what you describe here. And it's often explicit. I want to warn my listeners. It's often explicit because you are just absolutely candid with your interviewees and with your readers. And so it's jarring for someone, you know, I'm FCC regulated, so you'll never hear anything remotely like what you write about on the air, Christine. I mean, how do people even interview you about this book on the air? <laughs> yeah, you know, we have to sort of set out a framework early on what, what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not in some yeah. cases. Because uh, I play some of this on the radio. I can't, I can't discuss some of the things that you discuss in detail but let me ask you about the blowback. Who is it coming from? Is it coming from professional uh, LGBTQ activists? Is it coming from ordinary people? Do people object to anything you say about trying not to harm others in the course of deciding uh, intimacy arrangements? You know, that's a, that's a really good question and a really good framing. I think the thing about rethinking sex that's hard to argue with is that, you know, something about our sexual culture is off and it's leaving a lot of people miserable. But I get blowback, especially, I think, from, you know, the left um, and the LGBTQ plus movement when they say, like, well, you aren't saying enough about how the sexual revolution helped queer people be able to realize their desires more. And, you know, when I talk about how men and women are different, say, I hear from sort of extreme feminists who are like, well, you know, do you want to put women back into the kitchen or something? And, you know, the underlying ethic for this book is care of the other person. That's right. Empathy, not marginalizing people of, of any dimension, but trying to help us all live better lives and interact with each other in a healthier, you know, more moral way. But I think sometimes people are afraid that, if you're criticizing a choice, that means that you're criticizing the person and they don't want to be criticized, frankly. You know, Christine, when I finished the book, I knew you were going to get blowback because you make moral arguments. Moral arguments are anathema on the left uh, because it, it implies a moral order for every decision making. And that's not something the left really wants. I don't think you're a conservative. I, I, I think you're I actually can't tell what your politics are after re reading Rethinking Sex and listening to you and reading your columns. I don't know. But I know that it's very, very funny to read at one point. Yeah, you know, all three of my kids are grown now. They all went, grew up good Presbyterians going to youth group just like you, sometimes twice a week. And uh, when you wrote about the very earnest youth pastor talking about guarding your heart, I laughed out loud. 
because nobody talks more about sex than youth pastors without saying anything. <laughs> That's totally true. That is completely true. But they, but they do, they, they don't, they lack a language because they're not explicit and they'll get in trouble with conservative parents if they are explicit. But your book, while explicit, is conservative. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's something that I'm trying to do with rethinking sex. I'm I'm trying to open up a conversation so that people can talk about this. I mean, I do think that parents will find it alarming, but hopefully they will, you know, share it with their teenagers and older kids and be able to talk about, you know, what's happening in their lives. I think one of the problems with our sexual culture today is that people feel sort of afraid afraid to say that something is wrong or they feel confused about what's going on in society and they don't really know where to go for direction. And so yeah, when, when, some people go to porn, but I think it would be better to, you know, have an open conversation with elders and people who can help you. Yeah. Well, the, the older people are at a loss because pornography is now available everywhere and anywhere at a click away. And they're mostly concerned with defending themselves and their families against it. They're not out there trying to litigate it anymore because it's non-litigious, uh, non-litigatable anymore. But in rethinking sex, I think you did provide all those youth pastors, if they can get past the fact that you're explicit, that they will have the book that they need for their seniors and juniors in high schools. Do you agree with me on that? I think so. And I really hope so, because I, I really did write this book, not as a provocation to make people mad or upset, but to provoke these conversations so that together we can really come to better sort of moral standards and moral understandings about what sex should look like and what we want from our relationships and for each other. Now, young people are going to walk into a war zone. And, uh, I, you know, I've laughed with my daughter when she was in high school. She was watching Sex in the City, and we didn't know it, right, because her bedroom was upstairs. And Sex in the City was kind of the revolution before the revolution. And now the revolution is complete. And I'm not sure that anyone is happy with what remains, Christina. And I want to wrap up by letting you state your thesis completely about why someone should read Rethinking Sex, whether they are a 66-year-old grandfather or an 18-year-old heading off to Princeton or Harvard or, or a big state U anywhere, because it's going to be the same set of issues. All of those kids are going to run into the same set of issues that you write about in Rethinking Sex, which is why I think it's a necessary provocation. Thank you so much, Hugh. I mean, again, Rethinking Sex really is a call to arms against our current, if anything goes, sexual culture. And I wrote it to critique the assumption, A, that consent is the only standard we can have for whether sex is good or not, and to also question whether the assumptions that we've been brought up with culturally post the sexual revolution and the feminist movement are correct, or if they're actually hurting us. I want, frankly, people to be able to make moral judgments about whether certain things are good or not, so that we can pursue the good together and hopefully make sex better for us all. And Christine, are people interviewing you about this? I mean, are you getting good media exposure? Because it's obviously provocative. It's obviously timely. It's obviously front page with Judge Brown Jackson's hearing. I'm just curious if people are comfortable talking to someone who isn't fully libertarian when it comes to matters of sexual ethics. Well, I think that that has made people curious about it. Um, and it is, in fact, starting some conversations. You know, I had an essay that said, called Consent is Not Enough, We Need a New Sexual Ethic in the Post last week, and it was 
far and away one of the most read pieces because it was so unusual to see someone making a moral statement like that. The news is very crowded right now. Obviously, there's so much happening with Ukraine, with these hearings. Um, but this is also a major part of people's lives that they're concerned with. Um, what, you know, why do you think like. you're the best person to ask? You're an African-American uh, successful public intellectual columnist. Judge Brown Jackson gets asked, what is a, can you define a woman? And she declines to answer. Why? Why did she decline to answer that, do you think, Christine Emba? Well, I actually don't really fault her for that in the context of these hearings because, you know, there's so many answers. And I think that you, and so many ways to answer that question that could, frankly, all be correct. And I think if she got it wrong, there was somebody who would jump on her from any angle. But I mean, if you were to ask, you know, yourself, like, what is a woman? Um, you know what that is, right? You can, you sense that, you have intuitions about that, but to, but to be really clear and focused, I think you need to know a little bit more about what's being asked to, to be right. And I think she's just being as careful as possible. We all know these things, right? Yes, we do. We all, you know, it's a matter of chromosomes. It's a matter of, you know, if you want to get right down to the biology, it's about uh, your physical attributes, your your capacity to reproduce um, children, to bear children. Actually, that's what it is. If you can, if you come right down to it, it's the chromosome and the ability to to birth a child. But that is, I, I suspect, you know, Judge Jackson has said openly that she is a Christian, a churchgoer that, you know, she has strong religious beliefs and cares a lot about them. And I suspect that she is being careful, you know, not just because of the question being asked from someone on the right, but also because she doesn't want to receive that blowback from the left. That's it. Um, you know, from her support. That's it. That's why she did it, because the LGBTQ community would have been outraged with anything other than gender as a choice. And mm -hmm. I, I, I want to close by going back to the campus. I don't know if you'll be invited back to your alma mater to talk about this. I hope you will be. But I think you're going to find a whole bunch of people relieved that somebody believes in, in something approaching a traditional norm. And have you heard from those people yet? You know, I haven't heard from my particular campus yet, from Princeton, especially because I criticize it in Rethinking Sex. Um, but I have already actually heard from you know, some college professors and even high school teachers who are like, wow, I'm going to teach this in my class on, you know, gender and sexuality. Wow, I want to teach this in my class about social norms because I needed a way to talk to young people about this um, that related to their experiences and, and I'm going to use it. So that makes me really happy about what Rethinking Sex could do out in the world. You know, it's only a matter of time, though, until someone on my political side of the aisle objects to Rethinking Sex because it's explicit. You know, that is the, that's the paradox in which we live. If you talk about the issue that confronts young people about sexuality once they leave their home and even in their home, uh, you're going to run afoul of people who don't want to talk about it, right? Yeah. I mean, but look, the thing is, the world is explicit now. Like, you turn on the TV, sex is there. You, like, look at a billboard on the street, sex is there. You really want to also be able to have an honest conversation, at least, so there's some truth that's also out there that people are seeing. Uh, you're absolutely, and that's why Rethinking Sex is going to be a bestseller. Christine Embuck, thank you again for joining me for writing the book for your eulogy at Fred's service, which was remarkable, and I, and I look forward to talking to you again on other columns and books that you write. Would love to. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Christine.
That concludes today's episode of the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.